The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We are nearing the end of our series on Abraham. We've got a, a few more weeks left. And just to kind of let you know where we're headed, is after this series is done, we'll do a series on Easter, where we look at the final week of the life of Jesus, and then we will have a series on prayer, and we'll have some discussion questions for small groups to go with that, and then this summer, we will be in the Psalms. Last, last Saturday, we had a newcomer's brunch, and as we had that, it's just a reminder that the, it's good for us to remember what we're about, and, and so if, if you are new to TBC, or you just want the reminder, there are three core values that we have, and those are surrender, and community, and mission. So when somebody comes to Temple Bible Church new, what we really hope is that their heart's affection is stirred and their mind's attention is set on Jesus Christ, that the gaze of our life is fixed on Jesus as Savior and King. We surrender to him and then we value biblical community. That means that we hope that you find a people to love and a people who love you. A people that you can love with all their imperfections and a people that can love you with all of your perfections, I'm sure. And then we hope you find work to do because we've got a mission that we're on of making disciples here in our city and all the world and, and you're part of that if you're in Christ. So wanted, wanted to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. And as we are a, a people who value community, one of my favorite things about Temple Bible Church that I didn't know until I came on staff in August of 2008 is every Wednesday when we meet as a staff, the last part of our staff meeting for about 45 minutes or an hour is we dive in the word together. Whoever's preaching, we look at that text together and we talk about it and some weeks it's encouragement and some weeks it's help and some weeks after talking to these folks when I'm gonna be up here on Wednesday, I go, oh goodness, I've learned so much and I gotta start over. This week our staff was tremendously helpful and, and actually the outline that I'm using today is from them and not me. Um, so I wanna just be upfront about that. Well, this week, earlier this week, I was supposed to have breakfast with, a, with Justin Childers. He's a pastor at Miller Heights in Belton, and we've been friends for about 20 years. And, and we were going to eat at one place, and it was closed on Tuesday morning. And, and he said, hey, Miller's is serving breakfast now. Do you want to go there? And I said, oh, yes, Lord. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I walked into Miller's, and, uh, and when I walked in, I saw some friends. It was a family eating there, and, and two of the people were friends of mine, and I knew it was going to be a good breakfast, but the start of a hard day, um, because their day was going to be about writing an obituary and making plans for a funeral, um, and it was going to be a hard day for them. So I started thinking about that and, and then went and heard what was said about this brother in Christ who had gone to be with the Lord and, and I started thinking, what will they say about me when I'm gone? I hope they talk about Jesus. And I thought about the obituary of this guy that we all know who died a long time ago. He was a world traveler. He didn't start traveling till a little after retirement age, but he went places he would have never imagined. He ended up ranching and he grew his livestock business really, really well. Now, some people would say that was just dumb luck and some would say it was in spite of his foolish dealings with people. He had two sons, both of them later in life, and one of them, along with his mother, became estranged from him before he died. 
he was by no means perfect. And often when things got difficult, he would try to scheme his way out of them. And in the most awful ways you could imagine. And still with all that, he was loved by God, became a man who trusted God. He's called a friend of God. In fact, the Bible says God was not ashamed to be called his God. He saw a son miraculously born and the same son miraculously saved. And in fact, he became Abraham, the father of many nations. He died at a ripe old age. His sons came together and buried him in a family tomb. He prearranged his burial site. How would you eulogize him? Today, we're going to talk about how Genesis does and then how Hebrews does. So let's read together Genesis 25, 7 through 11, and then we'll read from Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 19. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. I've, I've got to tell you, I hope I don't live that long. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. And Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. I, I got to tell you, I hate, I hate death. But I, I met with some folks who had a family member that had just passed away seven days ago, and he passed away with people around him who loved him, singing praises to God, reading the scripture, praying. If you have to go, what a way to go. The writer of Hebrews says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents, and Isaac and Jacob were heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, who had promised, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grands of sand by the sea. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the one that they'd come from, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. Lord, I suspect if Abraham could talk to us today, he would tell us to talk about you. You were the way maker. You were the miracle worker. You were the promise keeper. And so as we kind of eulogize Abraham today as we look back and remember who he was 
God, may we remember who you were and are as Abraham's Messiah and our Savior, as the one who never changes, the God who sees and knows, the God most high, God Almighty, the God who provides, the God who made a way through Abraham's offspring, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. What do we know about Abraham and and how could we summarize what we know about Abraham? The first thing is that God made him a father. God made him a father. Hebrews 11.8 says that he went out not knowing where he was going. And as it says that, it is referencing Genesis 12, 1 through 3, what John Stott says might be the most important three verses in the Bible where God tells him to go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And your name will be great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and the one who dishonors you I'll curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is in your offspring. God goes on to say your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. You are going to be the father of many nations. He even names him Abraham. God made a way for him to be a father because Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age. And Abraham was as good as dead. He was an old man. And God made him a father. He's not just the father of Isaac and Jacob, but he's the father of all those who have faith in Christ. And we'll look at that a bit more. God made him a father. And then second, God gave him faith. He was a man of faith. And it's not just Abraham's story. It's a story of Sarah's faith as well. Often, if you go to a funeral of a person who has died in faith, you don't just hear about them. You hear about them and their spouse, whether that spouse is still living or has gone on. You hear about how God has worked through both of them. And that's what Hebrews does. It says that Abraham did what he did by faith. Now, I, I will Confess to you, I'll tell you, there, there's a certain thing that you hear at funerals sometimes that when I hear it, it just kind of breaks my heart. What happens is you'll have a person who's died and the preacher preaching the funeral doesn't know if they're in Christ and they really don't know what to say and they're looking for something good to say about the person and really all they'll say is, you know, he was, he was really on time. I hope when I die that people don't say he was really on time. I mean, I am. My wife calls it 15 minutes early, but I'm on time, right? He was a really, really hard worker. Well, if you know me, nobody will ever say that about me, so that's no problem. He's a really hard worker, but there's nothing of a Savior to speak of. There's nothing of what Christ has done. I hope for all of us For all of us, when we go to be with the Lord, that people aren't talking about us, but they're talking about our Savior, that we were people of faith and a God who accomplishes purposes and keeps his promises. And that's what Hebrews does. It it tells us in, in chapter 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And then it it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. It's, it's almost quoting Genesis 15 when he told Abraham, I will be your shield and your exceedingly great reward. 
If you're gonna come to God, you have to come in faith and you have to come believing it's worth what it costs. That God is the rewarder of those who seek him. And so we're told that Abraham is this man of faith. In fact, over and over in Hebrews 11, he did what he did. We're told by faith. By faith, verse eight, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. He wasn't mustering up this law obedience He obeyed when he was called to go out by faith. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land. Verse nine. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Verse 13, these all died in faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He did what he did by faith. He believed it was his hope in God not his own power. They made Abraham the man of faith. Now, when we talk about faith, there were some, there are some that will say, really what you need is great faith. And if you have great faith, that's the key to success in life. And what I wanna tell you is great faith is a great thing to have. But honestly, when we follow Christ, the, the big deal is not the amount of faith we have, it's the object of our faith. It's not the amount of faith we have, it's the object of our faith as evidenced by the fact that when I was 11 years old, I had great faith that I was going to become an NFL linebacker. Why why are you laughing? Mom said I could be whatever I wanted to be. That's what I wanted to be and I believed, right? It's not the amount of our faith, it's the object of our faith. For instance, I might have great faith that I could sit right here and the air would hold me up. But I want to tell you, I think if I had great faith that I could sit right here and the air would hold me up, that I wouldn't end up with a a seat, I would end up with a sore seat and you would end up with a good laugh. See, I I could have the smallest amount of faith that this stool or, or chair could hold me up though. And I've got great confidence now that it can, I I see that it can, it's not about the amount of faith, it's about the object of faith and, and what we've gotta know and what Abraham knew and what the scripture tells us is that whatever you hope in, whatever story you believe, see we all believe a story about how the world came to be, about how the world got in this broken state that it is and how the world might be rescued and, and whatever story you're believing in better be able to hold you up when life falls apart. Because for all of us, in some ways, life's gonna fall apart some days. And see, this story of the God of Abraham, the man of faith, is a story that could uphold him. God gave him faith, he had faith in a Messiah, this promise of God. We're told in Galatians that the gospel was preached beforehand to him. And that there was an offspring that would come and Abraham believed. He was a father. He was a father, but he also was a man of faith. And as a man of faith, God gave him a family. God gave him a family and God gave him this most amazing family. He gave him Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael. The family was broken apart, but then they came together. Imagine the scripture telling a story of a death that brings brothers together who are separated from one another. See, he gave him a particular family. And it's 
to highlight the promises of God, you might say, well, Abraham, I mean, it didn't have to be Sarah and Isaac. It didn't have to come through them, but the scripture actually says it did. No, no, it could have been any woman. Well, actually, they tried that, right? They tried that with Hagar, and it didn't work out too well. God gave Abraham a family that was about his purpose and his promises, and you know if you go to a a funeral, what you're gonna hear is about these people that the deceased is survived by. And, and you might hear who they're survived by and it might not mean anything to you. But if you know the story of the family, then you know it really matters who they're survived by. That's this legacy that's being carried on. And we're, we're told, we're told who Abraham is survived by, not just Isaac and not just Jacob. And of course there were, people like Moses and David and Daniel spiritually that survived Abraham but then in his family Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob Matthew tells us and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers and oh by the way there was a lion that would come from Judah that would devour death and sin and then Judah He was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, his daughter-in-law, an awful part of the story. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon. Now you might just be hearing these names and go, well, does this, all these names really matter? Well, they do, because Salmon, he ends up marrying this lady named Rahab. She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And when the spies came in, she said, we've heard of your God and we stand in dread of him. She was a God-fearer and so she put a scarlet thread that hung out her window. And see, there's this scarlet thread of redemption that we know that goes through Abraham's survivors. Salmon and Rahab, they, they had a child named Boaz. Boaz was a a guy from Bethlehem who married a Gentile lady named Ruth. So this guy from Bethlehem redeems a bride who's a Gentile. See, that's part of the story of Abraham's family and and then Ruth and, and Boaz, they have Obed and Obed has Jesse and Jesse, he has lots of sons. The youngest, this kind of ruddy, good looking boy named David who's gonna become the king a man after God's own heart, but goodness, he's broken as well. And David is the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. I mean, this family is crazy. People come into my office sometimes and they are hurting and struggling with pain from the past. Then they go, there's no way your family's as crazy as mine. And I just go, you first, right? See, all of our families are crazy. Mine tell me that we're just crazy because of me. (laughs) See, Abraham's got this family of these people and the people in and of themselves, they are as broken as broken can be, but they've got a God who can keep promises and accomplish purposes. And so Solomon was the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam the father of Abijah and Abijah the father of Asaph and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram was the father of Uzziah. You remember in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord, Isaiah said. Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. 
who prayed and God extended his life and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos and Amos, the father of Josiah, this good king. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel had Zerubbabel and Zerubbabel was the father of Abiah and Abiah the father of Eliakim and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok and Zadok of Achim and Achim of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar and he was the father of Mathan, the father of Jacob and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus who is Christ the Lord. Abraham's offspring through whom the nations will be blessed as much by his birth as by his death. And so now we all can receive rebirth as children of Abraham. We are part of that family. And it's a family of faith. Romans 4 tells us about this family of faith. And here's what it says about Abraham. If you've been here for our series, you know his story. His life is broken. He is not hoping in his own righteousness. But he was fully convinced, Romans 4.21, that God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, or it was accredited to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. See, Abraham was counted right with God or righteous. He was justified by faith because he believed God. So now for us, we will be justified by faith if we believe and understand, put our hope in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Israel's Messiah, who came and lived a sinless life and died a perfect death. And he died that death to take the punishment for my sin and for your sin, and not just that, to redeem the whole world, to conquer sin and death. And he rose from the dead for our justification. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He died for our sins, and he was raised for our justification, so we believe. And as we believe, we're part of this family. Galatians 3, 7, know it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, that is if you belong to Jesus, if you have put your life in his hands, if you've embraced his ability to keep his promise, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, God made him a father, God gave him faith, and God gave him a family, and we are part of that family. That's not the end of Abraham's story, though. God also made him look forward. God made him look forward. Hebrews 11.10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and whose builder is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They were looking forward. 
having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been seeking or thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they could have returned. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's a heavenly city, New Jerusalem, they are looking to. So Hebrews 13, 14 says here, just like them, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We look forward just like they looked forward. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. all these, so not just Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, not just Moses and Daniel and David, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They were looking forward. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So what is it that they looked forward to? I think Hebrews 12 gives us a picture of that. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Think about him. Let your Heart's affections be stirred, your mind's attention be set, put the gaze of your life on him who endured such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, I think our application is to do what they did. As we, as we look forward and we look back, we remember them. They're this great cloud of witnesses who are witnesses to this Jesus, who was coming to be the founder and the finisher of the faith. He began this work in us and he will complete it. You know, as I, as I read this about this cloud of witnesses, I, I was thinking about it last week and then we had our newcomers brunch and at that brunch, I, I talked a little bit about vision of TBC and then people shared about their ministries and then Danny, our executive pastor, talked about the history of TBC and I started thinking about this cloud of witnesses. And yes, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and yes, Moses and yes, Rahab and yes, Boaz and Ruth and David and Daniel and yes, people like Paul and Peter and Tabitha and Lydia and the Apostle John. Yes, all these people. But then I, I thought about this cloud of witnesses that became Temple Bible Church and and the people who have gone before us and some who still surround us, if you haven't been here long or maybe if you have been here long, it would be a shame if you had never heard of Leroy and Nancy Winburn and their faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to them. See, we know there's this one glaring example, our, our brother Gary who pastored us for 38 years and Bev who is still with us and serving as part of us. You might have never heard of Charlie Casebolt who died 21 years ago, but there are men and their wives in this room whose lives were greatly impacted for Christ. And his wife Kay continues on discipling ladies and she's just this amazing woman of God and she's part of this cloud of witnesses that 
surrounds us. Jack Coles, who he and Mija, who's here last hour, Jack went to be with the Lord and raised their family to know the Lord. And they, they served in Tanzania, they came back here, and Jack has passed on, and Mija's still here. And their son, Stuart, and his wife, Bethany, who with Mike and Tricia O'Neill went to plant this church in New York with the Chongs. They're this cloud of witnesses that you might not know who they are. But see, we're standing on their shoulders and, and we've got shoulders people are gonna need to stand on. People like Lee Hoffer who went to be with the Lord and John Blevins, and we can't name them all, but even now, even in our midst, people like John and Bess Yesh and James and Gladys Skinner, Wayne and Nancy Ingram. When I think about these three couples, I just think over the last 40 years how they've served this church and they've prayed for this church. And I can't imagine how many things God has done in and through Temple Bible Church because of the prayers of the Yeshes and of the Skinners of the Ingrams. Charlie and Vivian Stoner who served in Brazil for 40 years and now have been serving us for 10 years, and Lonzo and Nellie Wallace. Now, Miss Nellie's not old, but Lonzo is, because Lonzo serves on our deacon board. Then I think about even people around me right now in our 930 service, there was Mike Hagan and his young wife, Barb, who service, and then there were these young guys, my, my friend Frazier, who looks like Thor, who was here, who's maybe 28 or 29, and he's part of that cloud of witnesses, and then uh, my old friend Danny and his young wife Sandy and my old friend David Jennings and his young wife Karen and how they're impacted for Christ. And as I was talking to the Jennings, Karen Jennings told me about this young single resident named Jonathan Shy who used to serve alongside them. And if you know Jonathan, he's still young, but he is by no means still single. And he and Mandolin are raising their kids to know the Lord and then people like Charles Verheiden, and then I think about a couple that are friends of mine that were leading a marriage class or preparing for marriage class and now their, their daughter and her husband are leading that class. See, there are shoulders that we stand on. I thought about Skip and Lori Carruth and 16 years ago, they came to my small group and I, I remember I had a child and a, another child on the way and I thought, oh my gosh, two children, who could raise two children? <laughs> And the Caruths came and talked to us about what it meant to raise your kids to fear and know the Lord. And there are things that they said that have helped me with all five of my kids. See, we're people who look to the founder and finisher of our faith. I, I talked to a new friend at the end of last year and he said, you know what, Chase, I've been a believer for 10 years, but 2019 is really the first year where I feel like I've ministered to others. It's the first year where I've really kind of thought about this idea of making disciples and I want this next year to be a year like that. And what I heard him say really is I want to be part of this cloud of witnesses. I want to be part of this cloud of witnesses, these people whose eyes and heart and mind their gaze is fixed on Jesus the King who has saved us and redeemed us, who is our Lord. They're loving one another and they have work to do. See, he began a good work in us and he's going to bring it to completion. What will they say about us when we are gone? What will be the testimony that people give about Temple Bible Church? I hope it's that we lay aside the things that weigh us down 
and the sin that clings to us. I hope it's that we fixed our eyes on Jesus because he is the founder and finisher and it's a work that he did in us as one community to make disciples. So are there things weighing you down, keeping you from that? Sometimes there are me. I've got to confess to you, I'm gonna chase a little rabbit here because I saw a couple of weeks ago, I just wasn't thinking about it, the Summer Olympics are coming this summer and I, I love the Olympics. I love the Olympics and some people love the Olympics because of the camaraderie between the nations. I love in particular the Summer Olympics because it's when the United States crushes the hopes and the dreams of athletes from everywhere. <laughs> it's just a blast to watch. And in particular, we really like uh, track and field events, but more than that, we like swimming. And, and about 16 years ago, this summer, my daughter Maddie's almost four at the time. She's sitting on our, this ugly old yellow floral couch. It was, I think it was plaid yellow with floral. I mean, it was ugly, more ugly than you could imagine, just awful. So she's sitting between me and Laura, and Michael Phelps is just doing what he does, leaving a wake of water and a wake of competitors. And he gets out of the pool to be interviewed and we're listening to Michael Phelps, just cheering him on and Maddie just observes, Dad, his swimsuit looks different than yours. <laughs> my, uh, my wife just kind of goes, there, there's a reason. Which I, I didn't understand that. And I, I said, yeah, Daddy is not a, a, a racer. I don't race, I just swim for fun, right? And we had a good laugh about that. They've laughed about that a lot more. I, I have not. Um, so I don't, I don't wear a swimsuit like that. And all the people said amen. But, but I've got a nephew who does. His name's Walker. And, uh, and Walker swims at Seton Hall. And last, uh, last fall or a couple of falls ago, we went over to see my family in Florida and my son, Jeb, who is nine and a rather large individual, wanted to race this amazing swimmer who's got all these awards in Florida and so they, they raced and we just rolled. Because Walker got to the end of the pool when Jeb had you know paddled three or four times. <laughs> Jeb had on a different swimsuit than Walker did though. Jeb didn't have a little hat on, the goggles, he couldn't see where he was going. <laughs> see, sometimes we run the race of life and, and we're not clothed property properly we've got we've got things on us that weigh us down sin that clings to us and if we're going to run this race if we're going to keep going if we're going to be this cloud of witnesses we're told let us lay aside all of these things every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us are there things weighing you down? And then second, what or who is the gaze of your life fixed upon? Is it set with your heart's affection and your mind's attention on Jesus Christ? And then do you have a people to love? And do you have work to do? 
We're to do this because he is the founder and finisher who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before Jesus when he endured the cross was bringing many people to glory. The joy that was set before Jesus is that he would bring the church, Abraham's children from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation to the Father as a love gift. Father, this is what I purchased with my scars. That was the joy set before him, so he as our joy set before us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the one who accomplishes purposes and keeps promises. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Lord, that's our prayer that we would fix the gaze of our lives on you. And not that we will do this perfectly and we will walk and wrestle and struggle, but God, help us to lay aside the things. Because we've got this cloud of witnesses around us like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, like Jean and Annette, like Leroy and Nancy and James and Gladys. Mike and Barb. We got this cloud of witnesses around us. And so God, help us to be part of that cloud for others as we seek to make disciples for your glory. We thank you for this truth that you are seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, that you've conquered death and that you've saved us and given us life. You are our king. So we thank you, God, for this story that is ultimately about you, not about Abraham or any one of us. So may we make much of King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.